Spring of Life Fellowship and its pastor, Joaquin G. Molina, invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Be a part of the vision, changing the world. Father, thank you for the day you have made for us to rejoice and be glad. Thank you that your wisdom is above human wisdom and your strength above human strength, Lord. Your power is omnipotent. It's mighty. It's, it's strong, Lord. And you're able to fill us with your presence. You're able to fill us with wisdom. Father, there is no stumbling in you, O Lord. Your word is an occasion for our peace and nothing will cause us to stumble, Lord. And as the enemy tries to uh, get us to fall and to go astray, your purpose this morning is to expose and to manifest him for who he is and what he does. And so we declare victory over the enemy. We declare triumph over those that desire our demise. We know that nothing will overcome those of us that are walking in your love. We know that your presence goes with us. We know that your spirit is sufficient. Your grace is amazing and abundant. And we will be more than conquerors because all our enemies will be underneath our feet, Lord. They will all fall prostrate to Jesus Christ as Lord in our lives. And so we pray that your word would be ample this morning to instruct us, to inspire us, and to bring us to the place where we are not just mere Christians, but that we're strong, influential, and uh, men and women of God that change the course of our family, of our community, of our affairs, uh, because of your spirit, because of your truth. Now prosper your word in the hearts and in the lives of your people. As a lamp unto our feet, your word will light uh, the path that we walk. It will be a double-edged sword that will penetrate the depth of our being and be able to remove those things that are a hindrance. And also, Lord, your word is a, a, the bread of life that feeds us, O oh God. It's the good seed that brings forth a good, uh, healthy crop that glorifies your name. And Father, we give you thanks because your word will not return void today, but it will serve the purpose for which you send it out. We glorify and celebrate Jesus this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. I don't know if you could help me this morning. Um, I'm a little bit um, taken by the fact that, that um, there's, there's darkness in this book by way of the enemies that stand against the Lord. How many say amen? There, there are dark villains in this book, that, uh, the, the kind that I don't want to approach. Um, and if I did approach uh, and I had a sword on my hand, they, they wouldn't go too well for them as they stand in opposition to what the Lord wants. And the Lord has called us to fight these battles. Everywhere the Bible talks about fighting, um, on the opposite side of his people stands an enemy. And... Uh, there are all types of enemies that we could describe this morning. Um, if you, one comes to mind real quick, could you raise your hand and just shout out his name? Anybody know the name of a biblical villain? Anybody? Satan, number one arch enemy of the Lord. Uh, Lucifer himself, who stands to, the Bible says in John 10.10, 10, uh, some people are so compassionate about the enemy, but the Bible says he comes not but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. 
the, the, the fruit of the devil's uh, labor is to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And so a lot of people say, well, I'm not a fighter, I'm a lover. But if somebody stands at your door and threatens to come in and rape and pillage and steal your prized possessions, you will defend and you will stand against them. So the, Satan becomes the arch enemy. Uh, that's fairly quickly to, to name. Anybody else know about a biblical villain? Goliath, Goliath is one of those angry gorillas that stood against the people of God, mocking them. You guys understand the nature of an enemy is the one that comes to mock. If you have thoughts of mockery in your head, get them out. That is not your friend. Uh, a man came to me last week. He came to the men's meeting and he says, Pastor, I realize uh, by coming to the men's meeting, a um, little side note there, if you come to the men's meetings, you'll become more of a man. If you come to a man's meeting, you will leave more of a man than when you came in. And your wives are going to love it. That's why a lot of wives tell their husband, hey, shh, get going. Go, go to men's meeting. Um, I met with a man last week, uh, and I said, you know why you don't come to man's meeting? Because you have no interest in being a man. Because if you had an interest in being a man, you would go to a man's meeting. Well, he didn't take it too lightly. Um, he goes, oh, there you go again. But I met with another man who did come to men's meeting last week. And he says, Pastor, I walked away from men's meeting with God having me told me two things. I'm cynical and I'm a mocker. I'm cynical. I don't believe reality with regards to anybody taking God for real. There's always a, an underlying motive. There's a lie. Um, uh, and I'm, I'm cynical and I'm a mocker. I make fun of anyone who would challenge me on these things. I, I, just, I just make light of them. And the Bible says that a mocker in uh, Proverbs 15, 12, it says a mocker um, does not love the one who corrects him. So they're not looking for correction. You'll see a mocker will not come to men's meeting because he'll be challenged in the areas of his manhood. So he doesn't love correction, and he will not go near the wise. He's not going to hang out with wise people because wise people will take seriousness to his life. They will take weight of reality. So here it is, Goliath was mocking the people of God. And he stood there every day, and he would, he would signal them out and say, you bunch of scaredy cats, and you bunch of weaklings, and you no good for nothing. That's the voice of an enemy. And, and it's quick to come into our thoughts, thoughts of mockery, thoughts of debilitating, diminishing our strength, stripping us from our courage. Uh, if you see, um, the, they, they would describe Goliath in his full feature of nine foot tall. Uh, his spear weighed like a hundred pounds. His sword weighed another hundred pounds. And his helmet was huge. And his armor was long. And, and so all the descriptions of the enemy are to strike fear in the hearts of the people that he stands against. So enemies are mockers, enemies uh, scoff, enemies bring fear into the heart. They diminish your strength. And so we're surrounded by enemies on every side. That's one of the things about the Bible which is so incredible. From the first uh, serpent in the garden who strips man of his glory by deceiving, by lying. 
These are all tactics of the enemy. When we talk about um, those that stand against us, there was a man back in the 600 BC, his a Chinese general named, uh, somebody help me out with his name, uh, Sun Tzu. Anybody? Sun Tzu, the art of war. He's been the military guide for centuries for all the men and women who go out to fight battle. And he wrote about military warfare like this. All warfare is based on deception. So in order to be powerful uh, against your enemy, you have to deceive him. When you're able of, to attack, you must, be, you must seem unable. When you're using force, you must be, seem as inactive. When you're near, you must make your enemy believe you're far. When you're far, you must make him believe that you're near. These are all tactical, strategic um, uh, conditions to an enemy who's going to strike. We're surrounded with men, women, circumstances, situations, thoughts that diminish our courage and bring fear to us. Like serpent, like Goliath. Anybody else have a name of a villain? Herod. He wanted to kill Jesus before he was born. Can you know that there are spirits in this world that want to destroy you before you even are? They're, they're running ahead of you trying to find out what God's plan is to divert, to, to intercept, to disconnect, to detour. And this is the, 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 the strength of the enemy is to try and do things before they come to pass. He doesn't want you to come to the house of the Lord. He doesn't want you to hear who you are in Christ. He wants to diminish, distract. He wants to bring fear and strip you of courage. Anybody else? Pharaoh. Pharaoh stood mightily against who? Moses. Against Joseph. These were men who had influence upon the earth to strip these men of their strength, to strip them of their destiny, to strip them of their courage. So as we walk in biblical understanding, as we understand the Bible, we're throt with enemies. You know who's the only one that fears an enemy? Say with me, a coward. A coward. And you know who's first in line to the lake of fire to go to hell? It's not a murderer. It's not a thief. You might not murder. You might not lie. You might not steal. But if you're a coward, you're first in line to go to the lake of fire, the Bible says. It's the first mention in Revelations about those that God, will, that God despises and removes is the coward. Those who have allowed the devil to strip you of your courage, of your strength, of your purpose. Who is another um, enemy? Not only uh, Satan, Goliath, Herod. Jezebel. Thank you. A woman who strips a man from seeking God above all things. She'd rather have a credit card to Dayland than for you to pay your tithe. You're not paying 10%, my friend. You're paying 23%. Thank you. That was good. You better shout ouch or amen. You better shout ouch or amen. amen. You're not paying 10%, my friend. You're sleeping with the enemy. She's stripping you of all your courage to fight the battles of the Lord. She's stripping you of desiring one thing upon the earth, which is to please the God who made you and gave you your marriage and your family and your children. Sometimes she goes by the name of suegra. 
You can say, ouch, that's permitted. You do not want a woman to be your enemy. The Bible says she who sleeps with you at night. She who discourages you, who doesn't care if you go to church or not. She'd rather go to the beach. She'd rather do something else than please God. That way she stays in power because if she comes into the kingdom of God, it's not a queendom. That means she has to submit. It's a good time to say amen. Submit to the order of God. Submit to the order of prosperity, of blessing, of peace, of joy. Submit so that your children will might have the courage one day to marry a wife and find someone who will submit. But if all they see surrounding them are witches with no offense to the Jezebels, because witchcraft means rebellion. It means going out of order. It means that you're the boss. And God did not create that mayhem, that nightmare. Another enemy within God's people. It's not only the serpent. It's not only Herod. It's not only Goliath. It's not only Jezebel. Anybody else? Judas. Judas. One who betrays, one who is disloyal, one who is seeking his own way in the midst of God's game plan. Judas the betrayer. He betrayed Christ with a kiss. He did it as a friend, as a close um, confidant. And, and you know something? One of the things about enemies that they do sometimes seep in and they become even part of the gathering of God's people. This is one of the, the freaky things that David says in Psalm 55. It wasn't my, an enemy that, that betrayed me. It was my friend, the one who went with me to the house of God. We read that in Psalm 55. In verse 12, he begins to say this. For it's not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor it is one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me. The key of an enemy is he comes against you. It's the opposite from a friend. A friend comes alongside of you. One who encourages you. One who causes you to feel stronger and able to overcome. It's the one who exalted himself against me. Then I could hide from him. If it was an enemy, it wasn't just a, a, a regular enemy. Judas was one, verse 13, that was my companion. A man, my equal, my companion, my acquaintance. Verse 14, we took sweet counsel together. We walked to the house of God together with the crowd. This is the one who turned against me. This is the one, verse 20, he has put forth his hand against those who were at peace with him. Verse 21, the words of his mouth were smoother than butter. But... The outside didn't appear what was in the inside. In the outside, there was smooth words like butter. The inside of his heart were words of war. His words were soft and oil, yet they were drawn swords. And so the description of enemies are all over the Bible. This should not take us by surprise. How many remember uh, Joseph's enemies? Could you name three of Joseph's enemies? In one lifetime, this is too much to bear. His own brothers. The Bible says in Genesis 37, verse 2, that at the age of 17, some of the enemies start when we're very young. 
and he was fleeting, uh, feeding the flock with his brothers, the lad was with his sons. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Verse 3. Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and made him a tunic of many colors. Verse 4. But his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers and they hated him and could not speak with peace to him. The inability to communicate. That's a good sign that you're dealing with an enemy, that you can't get on the same page. You can't come together. There's animosity. There's hostility. Uh, the, the definitions for enemy, according to the Webster Dictionary, is um, someone who actively opposes you. No, my friend, that's not your wife. She's your perfect helper. She's not your enemy. Don't let the devil ever consider your wife as your enemy. She's the one that's a gift of God to you that you might be victorious above all men upon the earth. He who finds a virtuous woman finds a good thing. Her worth far surpasses precious stones, gold and silver. She will allow you to prosper in your purpose before God. She prays for you incessantly. She desires the best for you and your family. The greatest treasures that have been lost by men upon the earth have been because they don't listen to their wives. And all the women say, Amen. Amen. A wife will give you good advice to stay away from creeps. One who is actively hostile. One who is your opponent, adversary. One who seeks to injure you, to harm, to weaken. That is the definition of enemy. Those who remove safeguards and mistreat you. Sometimes we see people that come to us that they are careful about our life and they want to concern themselves like a parent does a child and your son is not to look at his parents as if they're the enemy. The fact that they're coming to place guards, to speak correction, to speak wisdom in your life, that doesn't make them the enemy. The enemy is not getting your way. Most often not, those that hurt you. The Bible says, better are the wounds of a friend. Better are the wounds of a friend. Somebody who comes to your life and says, you know something, what you're doing is out of order. And because it's out of order, I need to speak into your life. And you might hate my guts for doing it. When we try to speak wisdom into the life of others so they get the victory, so they walk in triumph, that is a friend. A friend is not someone who tells you what you want to hear. I'm your friend this morning. Thank you, sister. One who encourages you is a friend. One who strengthens your walk. One who tells you to come to men's meeting on Monday night is your friend. One who tells you you ought to be a man so you could have the hope to be a husband and one day be an example as a father. Because if you don't lead your children by the example of a God-fearing man, you do a disservice to them. You allow them to grow up to hate God and to be indifferent to his love. I was talking to a friend of mine who's a lawyer yesterday, and he says, I don't see God. I said, well, just watch your next breath. Watch your next breath, because if it wasn't for God, you couldn't take your next breath. That's why the Bible says, let everything that breathes praise the Lord. It's his provision. And so God tells us this in Exodus 23, 22. If you indeed obey my voice and do all that I speak, every single one of your enemies will be my enemies. And every single one of your adversaries will be my adversary. God stands to fight against your enemies. 
If you walk with God, they don't have a chance. You will always have the victory. He will always lead you to triumph. He will always lead you to celebration. I was talking to my nieces last night. I said, I want to hear and see the end of the story. I want to see how my God destroys the giant. I want to see the victory of his head being cut off. The one who mocks us. The one who um, scoffs at our trust in the Lord. Isaiah 59, 19 says that when they come in, when they come in strong, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will lift up His measure, His banner, His standard against them. God will raise up in a second to come against our enemies. Um, we're, getting, we're getting to know a little bit more about these things that oppose us in fulfilling God's purpose. When I read the New Testament, I didn't understand 30 years ago, Matthew 5.43 where he says, you've heard that you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's the standard of man's counsel. I love those who are my friends. I hate those that are my enemies. I heard a man say, the enemies of my enemies are my friends. That's all secular, worldly thinking. Jesus says something else. You shall love your neighbor and you have heard you shall hate your enemies. But I say to you, love your enemies. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Persecute the, those who persecute you. Um, early on, I, I began to understand that when you begin to bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you, you're taking care of your migraines and of your ulcers. Because those who carry something against someone else are the ones that are most affected. And the other person is sleeping at peace at night while you're staying up. Get them, Lord. Get them. God wants to give you peace. Give you a good night's sleep. So he says, love your enemies and bless those who curse you. And so along those lines, now I understand a little bit more. I understand that Jesus understood enemies. Some people say, well, he said that because he had no enemies. Well, take a look at these enemies in John chapter 7, verse 1. As they began to know who Jesus was in Galilee, after these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he did not want to walk in Judea, because in Jerusalem, the Jews sought to kill him. Do you have anybody that wants to kill you? I suggest you classify them as your enemy, even though they're your in-laws. Be careful. There are people that want your demise. They don't pray for you to be blessed and prospered. They want you to be out of here and in heaven. Jesus had very strong enemies. They didn't seek to just hurt him. The Bible clearly says they sought to kill him. In John chapter 2, verse 12, it says, After this he went to Capernaum and his mother, brothers, and disciples, and they did not stay there many days. They, they didn't accompany him. Verse 13, It was the Passover was at hand, and Jesus wanted to go up to Jerusalem. Verse 14, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen, sheep, doves, and money changers doing business in the house of the Lord. Verse 15. 
When he made a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple and with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the money changers and overturned the tables. Verse 16. And he said to them who sold doves, take these away. Do not make my father's house a house of business, merchandise, commerce. Verse 17. And his disciples remembered what it was written. The zeal for your house has eaten me up. This is the time where we understand that Jesus had declared that those that would make a hindrance, those that, 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 that blocked and were an obstacle for people to serve God, he, he grabbed a whip and, and, and kicked them. He, he forcefully caused them to depart from the temple. And so from time to time, you'll see that uh, we have opportunity in our midst, and, and, and from time to time, I, I tell people, how dare you be a stumbling block to my sons? I have three sons, age 19, 18, and 17. They used to be 10, 11, and 12. And so here in the house of God, I was like saying, I'm not going to allow you to come in here and play hypocrisy. Because my sons need to see a real man of God, a real Christian. A man who really loves the Lord, who really serves him. Examples of those who desire, like Isabel says, knowing that Jesus gave it all, we too are willing to give it all. We too have decided to say, Lord, I want to do your bidding. I want to do your desire, your pleasure. His example was found in John 8, 29. This is, this is the, uh, the model we have to be a Christian. Where Jesus says, he who sent me to the earth is with me. How many say amen? God is with you. The Father has never left me alone. Look, everyone will leave you, not God. He's going to defend you to the end. And he says, for I always do the things that please him. That stands as an example for us. Jesus taught us to do those things that please God. And when you're walking with people like that, you become an automatic enemy to those who don't. I have some people that just met me this morning and already don't like me. I, I don't even know them. But the Bible says he who wants to do right is an enemy to he who wants to do wrong. And he who wants to do wrong cannot stand the person calling them to do right. This is a clash. Proverbs 29, 27. These two are in opposition to each other. If you see why there's such hostility and adversity is that you have some spoiled children that want to teach their parents. And that's not the way of the Lord. For it's the parents that should instruct the child. And the child should honor his parents. But the Bible says an unjust man, one who does things right is an abomination to the one. One who wants to do things wrong is an abomination to the one that wants to do it right. And he who wants to be upright is an abomination to the wicked. The wicked cannot stand a man of God. That's the hostility. Those are the newscasts. Ones are, are prognosticating and declaring truth and the other ones could care about truth because they have political interests. And so there's a clash there. And, and so in the house of God, Jesus was removing those that were uh, totally turning the house of God into a joke. 
into a circus. How many know that those people are still around? Absolutely. Those are the people that want a church, but they don't tithe at a church. Those are the people that want the blessings of the Lord, but could care less about the Lord of the blessing. Those are the people that want good things to come to them and to be defended from the devil who kills and steals and destroys, but are doing nothing about it. You should notice that this house here desires excellence for the Lord. This is a house of excellence. This is a house that desires not perfect Christians, but genuine Christians. Men who are seeking the grace of God that we could live the things that God is asking us to live. When we first started the church about 17 years ago, I had made $50,000 in a legal case. I was practicing law. And I loved the fact that I got the $50,000, not because I was going to take it to my house, but I was going to be able to bring $5,000 to the house of the Lord and buy chairs and speakers and microphones and everything that we might have a service to the God of Israel. I was, I was, I was super happy that the work of God would be prospered. It was the first offering in this church. It was glorious $5,000 for God's goodness and probably a lot more. But I know that God has been faithful all these years. And so we're, we're trying to remove those people who do not have an appetite for wisdom. The Bible says a fool has no appetite for wisdom. Now, if you have a party with a lot of foolishness, he'll be the first one there. He'll even fund it. He'll bring liquor. He'll bring worldly friends to hit on his wife. Because he hasn't been at the men's meeting on Monday night. He does come around the ungodly he boasts about today he doesn't know what's going to happen tomorrow these are what Paul describes in Philippians 3 in verse 8 he says these are enemies these these are the ones that are walking contrary to the heart of God these oppose and diminish I think it's verse 8 no it's not verse 8 let's look for it it's in chapter 3 I'm going to get it for you He speaks about these men. He says, listen, I want to tell you, verse 18, not verse 8. Philippians 3.18, Paul begins to write. He knows what an enemy of God is because he was a premier enemy. He was one that was walking against God big time. He says, for many, say with me, many. many. This is not a few people. This is a lot of people. Many walk of whom I often told you and now with tears in my eyes. With weeping, I tell you, they are enemies of the cross of Christ. They don't care about God's interest. They don't care about God's priority. They don't care about the widow and the orphan. One of these women was sponsoring a whale that swam around Australia. $50,000 a year. $50,000 a year. Sponsoring a whale that went around the southern tip of Australia. And zero to the cause of the kingdom zero to the work of the Lord zero to the lost souls in her city and in her own family verse 19 what is an enemy of the cross those whose end is destruction those who God is their belly they serve the satanic trilogy called me myself and I they're only thinking about self their glory is in their shame, and they constantly set their mind on earthly things. 
You see them never having a heavenly thought. They never have a spiritual response. They're always grappling on the earth, scuffing the ground as chickens, looking for some other morsel of food to eat. 2 Timothy 4.14. Paul talked about having these particular men. These men, he says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. This man stripped me of my courage. This man stripped me of my message. This man stripped me of my inspiration. May the Lord repay him according to his works. Verse 15. You must be aware also of him, for he has greatly resisted our instruction. He has greatly resisted our words. He's against what we're doing. He has his own agenda to further. Matthew 16, 22, at one time Peter pulled Jesus aside and said, May it never be to you. You shall not give your, far be it from you, Lord, that this should ever happen to you. Never, 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 never go to the cross, Lord. Never die. Don't let them crucify you. This was the voice of Satan through one of his disciples. Verse 23, the Lord turned to him and said, Peter, get behind me. Satan, you are a stumbling block to me. You don't encourage me to get closer to Jesus. How many have a friend like that? I, I, I was sitting down having lunch, and I've known this man for 20 years. And he began to give me all the reasons why God doesn't exist. All the reasons why I shouldn't believe in him. All the reasons why it's crazy to put my confidence in the Lord. They won't give you one single reason of how it's good, of how it's peaceful and joyful. You are not mindful of the things of God, but you think like a man, full of fear, full of things that are not consistent with my, God's plans for my life. Matthew 12, uh, 13, 25, and we're finishing. I don't know how you guys could handle this. I would have walked out. <laughs> While he slept, an enemy came and threw seeds in his life. He was thinking like, say with me, Impio. We're not to think like impio, which means ungodly. At the end of our commune with anybody, we should walk away with more forgiveness, more love, more perseverance, more courage, more strength. That's a friend of God. He sowed tares among the good things. And he went away. The Bible says as he walked away, Verse 26, the grain had sprouted and produced a crop and the tares also appeared. There were things that weren't consistent with what God's thoughts were. They weren't in line with, with the instruction of the Lord. Things in, in our lives that, that begin to challenge, give up, doubt, don't believe, don't persevere, don't have faith, don't be faithful, don't be godly. And all that is sprouting up in our lives. And, and I want to come to conclude with this. Um, I've realized that the enemies who have come into our life, and we mentioned Satan, and the Bible says we will overcome him pretty soon. Let's read that verse in, in uh, Romans 16, 9. Sixteen six. Let me Let me find it first here. 
He says, shortly, this is the end of all our enemies. And when you see the end, you will rejoice. You will rejoice greatly seeing the end of those that come against us. And the Bible says that that as the devil pronounces all his threats against you, Sixteen twenty. This is this is the, the end result. The God of peace will crush Satan under your feet in just a short time. Those that stand against God, short time before they stand underneath his feet. So as we see all the biblical villains and enemies, and as we're we're um, stripped. And, and the fighting is fierce. And this is a daily scenario, uh, especially for those of us that, that have determined that there's no going back. There's nothing stopping us. There's no justification for letting down. We come across this prayer that was said a time ago by a wise man who realized that his enemies were his greatest blessings. They said in Switzerland, uh, the pastor there says, Joaquin, the Swiss men hate you. And I said, why? He says, because every time you come, you greatly offend them. And I said, then why do they continue to ask me to come back? He says, because they're being changed. They're being transformed. They're becoming real Christians. They want you to keep on coming. They want to receive the ministry that challenges them to stand before one day before God and be counted a friend of God. A friend of God, not an enemy of God. You don't want to find out in eternity that you have betrayed and been disloyal. And you had a pastor saying, everything's okay, my friend. You want to know that you should transfer over to being a friend of God. And so this man wrote this prayer. He says, Lord, thank you for my enemies. Even I bless them and do not curse them. Because the enemies constantly drive me into your embrace more than my friends. My friends have abound me to earth. They make me familiar and close and comfy upon the earth. But my enemies make me be loosed from the earth. And I have demolished all my aspirations in this world. My enemies have made me a stranger in the worldly realm. Extraneous inhabitant of the world. Just as a hunted animal finds safety and shelter. Than an unhunted animal. So does those who persecute me. My enemies... I find safety in your sanctuary, having hidden myself beneath your tabernacle, where neither my friends nor my enemies could slay my soul. Bless my enemies, O Lord, even I bless them, and do not curse them. They rather than I have confessed my sins before the world. They have scolded me, where I have flattered myself. My enemies, O Lord, even I bless them. Bless them and do not curse them. Whenever I wanted to lead people, they have shoved me into the background. Whenever I wanted to rush to enrich myself, they have prevented me with an iron hand. Whenever I tried to build a home for a long and tranquil life, they have demolished it, driving me out. Truly, enemies have cut me loose from the world and have stretched my hands to the hem of your garment. My enemies, O Lord, even I bless them. Do not curse them. 
so that my fleeing to you may have no return, so that all my hope in people may be scattered like cogwebs, so that my absolute serenity may begin to reign in my soul, so that my heart may become the grave of my two evil twins, arrogance and anger, so that I might amass all my treasure in heaven. Oh, that I may as once for all be freed from the selfish deception of entangling myself to the dreadful illusory life Enemies have taught me to know what hardly anyone knows, that we have no enemies in this world except ourselves. It is truly difficult for me to say who has done for me more good and who has done for me more evil in this world, friends or enemies. Therefore, bless, O Lord, both my friends and my enemies. Slaves curse their enemies, for they do not understand. But the sons and daughters bless them, for they understand, for they know that their enemies cannot touch their life therefore they freely step among their enemies and pray for them Hallelujah. Romans 12:19 Paul says this my beloved do not concern yourself with avenging yourselves but rather give place to the Lord's wrath for it is written vengeance is mine I will repay saith the Lord verse 30 uh, verse 20 therefore if your enemy is hungry feed him if he's thirsty give him to drink for in doing so, you will heap coals on his fire of his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let's stand this morning. We give glory to you in the house of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We ask the musicians to come forward. And I don't know if you guys have that old song, I am a friend of God. Some man in South America who didn't know English too much was saying, I am afraid of God. <laughs> You're not supposed to be afraid of God, my friend. You're supposed to be a friend of God. And being a friend of God is lining up to do what you have been called to do. And surround yourself with those who have uh, decided to be your encouragement. To be those who will faithfully tell you the truth in love. You do not want to leave this world as an enemy of God. You do not want to leave this world without a testimony of being an inspiration. Of being a strength. Of being an encourager. Of being a forgiver. A lover. A man of God, a man who leads his home spiritually. It's pathetic that there are no men leading their homes in the fear of God. They don't know what the Word of God says. They, they're not instructing their children in the way of truth. Yo, are you here? Is Yoah here? Where's your son? Is he back there? Bring him. Bring Gio. Yoah came about a year and a half ago, two years ago. One of the spectacular things about the life of Yoah is that he's raised by an atheist father who hates God. He hates truth. He hates family. He decided to leave his wife and take off with his lover. Give birth to a child who later died of cancer at the age of 11. So now he blames God even more. He hates God even more. But Yoah came to church about two years ago with his father. And Yoah gave his heart to the Lord. And now he's decided he's going to be a friend of God. And he's raising his firstborn child named Gio in, in God's love and God's spirit and God's truth. And he comes up to me uh, two days ago and he says, hey, Gio is on fire for God. Gio loves the Lord like there's no tomorrow. Gio learned Hebrews 11 verse 1. Is George here, George Gill? Bring Georgie because that's his pal. You know, the Lord sent them two and two. By two and two. And so him and Gio, Georgie and Gio, they learned Hebrews 11.1. 1, and they came up to me and they said, Pastor, look. 
Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Woo! I'm like, what? It's a real deal here. Religion can't do that. But a godly example of a father and a man of God. George, you could come up here with him. These are men who have decided that they're going to raise up a different generation of children. A different generation. Young men who will stand before Goliath and tell him a couple things. And if he wants to get his head cut off, they'll do it too. Georgie, how you doing? This is your friend here, huh? Gio? Let me fix your collar here. What, what verse did you guys learn? Hebrews 11.1? 1? Was it faith? How's it go? No, Gio, you don't have to do it. Georgie's going to lead the troops here. You forgot it? Could I help you do it? Well, how's it start? If you start, I'll finish it. You remember? Faith is being sure what you hope what we hope for, and faith is being sure what we do not see. Woo! Woo! Telling you these guys are serious. Now Jesus said these words, any one of you who causes one of these my little ones to stumble, you better tie a limestone to your neck and throw yourself in the ocean before you come near me. Because there's no reason why we should strip them of their faith and confidence in God. God bless you guys. Thank you.